My body is a roadmap of pain. Deathmatchworldwide.com, the official online merchandise store that is only for Deathmatch Wrestling. Featuring official t-shirts from No Peace Underground, John Wayne Murdoch, Akira, Madman Pondo, Zona 23, Neil Diamond Cutter, G. Raver, Schlack, Necro Butcher, and many more. If you are a deathmatch wrestler, promotion, manager, or platform, and are interested in joining the web store, send us an email to deathmatchworldwide at yahoo.com. Deathmatchworldwide.com for the violent view. Welcome everyone to Faces and Feels. I am your host, Rafe Houston, and today I am joined by a very special guest. He is a deathmatch legend. He is the man known as Madman Pondo. How are you this morning, sir? I don't know how special I am, but I'm here, damn it. (laughs) Well, thank you for making time out of what I'm sure is a very busy schedule. I know you were banged up not that long ago, so I hope you're uh, healing up well and those uh, ribs and everything are healing all good. Yeah, man. uh, uh, They're healing. They healed so much. Like, there for a while, coughing, burping uh, was pretty much the worst of it, but then sneezing was one minute of death. Oh, my. But now, now I'm over all of that. And uh, while I was laid out, I, I listened to Corey's uh, show with you, and he, he uh, mentioned my name, and you said you'd love to have me on the show. So, damn it, here I am. Just like that. Live it in living speakers. <laughs> he just popped up out of nowhere. Now, it's it's so awesome to speak to you, mate. Uh, such a, an impressive and long-spanning career uh, that I feel like you must just have so many amazing stories. So... Uh, I was very excited to get you on, and then after after you'd reached out and stuff, I also heard you uh, on the Jericho podcast with G Raver talking about the Hardway documentary. I actually watched that last night, um, which was an amazing What'd documentary. What you think about that documentary? That's pretty good. Huh? I I really enjoyed it. Uh, I I really did. I thought it was like a a great example and and showing of like deathmatch wrestlers. Uh, passion for the medium and also what they go through in order to, you know, bring that entertainment uh, with people. How did you get involved with that specifically? I have known Jeff Waldridge for a while and uh, he knew the style that I did, but he was running while well, he was help booking a company, uh, Wildcat Championship Wrestling, and it was in Kentucky. And if you know, you, you wouldn't know, but there's there's shit here called a commission. Mm-hmm. And uh, the commission is really rough in Kentucky. So a lot of guys don't want to bring me to Kentucky because they think all I can do is pull a bob wire out of my asshole and cut myself with it. But uh, he would bring me in and, and let me just wrestle. So uh, we always got along. I, I never broke the rules. There was one time I uh, had a cut from another show. And started bleeding on his show. I went straight to the back. He always respected me for that because you can't bleed in Kentucky. Yeah, right. So, so uh, he always respected me for that. 
So then when he was doing this uh, documentary, he asked me if I would be interested, and I said, yeah. And then uh, I also opened a couple more doors for him. I got him with Necro and a Necro Butcher and stuff like that. And, man, when I watched the, the documentary, I am so happy that I'm in this one because there's, there's a lot of documentaries where there's there's a couple of puns against death matches or, or they'll show – fans that hate death matches or segments of death matches or there's you know a little little shit that's thrown in there all the time yeah like little jeff stabs at it and stuff yeah yeah mm -hmm. jeff waldridge uh with the hard way documentary uh put us in a good light man and yeah. and showed people that were people too and and uh put his heart into it you can tell he put his heart into it and now um the masters of pain is saturday and he's going to come in and uh, start hard way too, I believe he said. Yep. And he's also interested in doing a uh, Pondo documentary. And hell, I'm, I ain't got nothing better to do, so let's do it. <laughs> let's go. Oh, that that's awesome. So uh, he's he's actually going to start filming for a, a sequel this Saturday. Uh, I don't know if I was supposed to say that, but <laughs> fuck it, yeah. Yeah, yeah he's uh, coming to the Masters of Pain because there's going to be eight Great, well, nine, uh, eight great ones, and me, deathmatch workers at the Masters of Pain. So, oh, yeah. what what better place to get started than at the Masters of Pain? Yeah, absolutely. That tournament looks so exciting. I I know I don't have the ability to see it live at the moment, and you've explained that on social media, just due to the setup yeah. for what you guys do. That that doesn't really work. That's one that I'm really looking forward to catching when it comes out. So uh, you're the brain behind the Masters of Pain, is that right? Yes. Uh, so it's called IWA East Coast Weekend. Mm -hmm. So the first night, Friday at 7 o'clock, which tomorrow at 7 o'clock, yeah. is uh, the Zero G, which is Zero Gravity Tournament. Mm -hmm. And, man, it's just got such good talent on there. Uh, Jason Kincaid, uh, Jake Christ, uh, Facade, you know, all these little high-flying fuckers that's going to go all over the place and uh, entertain the crowd. Well, that one... Uh, Fat Ton, the owner of IWA's Coast now, Michael Tawny, Fat Ton, whatever you want to call him, he put together the Zero G. I, I had nothing to do with the Zero G. Uh, and then we go to the after party, and the next day, Saturday at 1 o'clock, will be Girl Fight Wrestling. And I own Girl Fight, so I put the, the Girl Fight show together. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got 12 girls that's going to give you six great matches on, on Girl Fight. And then we get all the fans out, and we get ready for the Masters of Pain. Dude, it's Slack and Shane Mercer, Akira and John Wayne Murdoch, and it's Jimmy Lloyd, G. Raver, and then Nolan Edward and Alex Colon. Oh, now tell is. me, that's not eight superstars that are going places in death matches today, and that's exactly what I wanted to go for. Every year, uh, and I, I, me and Fat Tom fought about it, but uh, every year we used some of our friends that we wanted to try to give a chance to. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we could have used local talent from West Virginia. Um, but this year, this year with death matches being so hot, I wanted to put eight guys that deserve to be in this, in a death match tournament in the master of the pain. Absolutely. Now, whether you know it or not, uh, G. Raver was originally going to be in the Zero G, 
because when I asked him, he waited three days to tell me, yes, he could do it. So the Masters of Pain. Yeah. Well, by then we'd already got our eight, our, our seven guys, me being number eight. Right. Uh, I was the weakest link in the whole tournament, if, if you look at it. So then uh, he, uh, you know, I didn't want to leave him out because uh, I liked the raver, so we put him in the zero G. So uh, Mania weekend, I went to Florida and uh, had three matches. A, a lot of guys only had one matches. Some guys only had two matches. 51-year-old Mad Man Pondo had three matches. So mine started uh, Friday with no peace, and I wrestled Casanova Valentine. That Garden Weasel is the worst shit ever. Holy shit. <laughs> um, I went to a different GCW. I, I can't remember what it was called. Gateway Championship Wrestling or something like that. They had a, a show that I was on for them. Um, Friday at noon was called uh, We Went Over the Budget. And then uh, Saturday, I wrestled Matthew Justice for Game Changer at the uh, Planet Death Show. And that's where um, I got two ribs broke. And uh, I broke three and four. And three went inside my lung, causing it to collapse. I finished the match. I, I went back to the ring. I did another six or seven minutes with two broken ribs and a collapsed lung that was filling with air and bleeding on the inside wow. uh, that I didn't know. I, I don't know shit about that. After that, I went, sat down, felt better, and then I, I my buddy Terry Harper drove me from uh, Tampa to my mom's house, mom and dad's house in Groveland, Florida. But I, I told him, there's this restaurant we like, Sonny's Barbecue. I said, uh, let's go eat, and then we'll go to my uh, parents' house, and, and I'll just rest this off. Well, he went in to get the table, and I couldn't even get out of the car. Like, I forgot my mask. I was I was uh, damn near falling on the ground wow. and couldn't figure out what was going on. So I got back in the car, and he took me to my mom and dad's house, and they have something called a pillow top mattress. Mm -hmm. So when I laid on top of that pillow top, it had my body in all different ways. Yeah. So it was five seconds of breath, five seconds of no breath, five seconds of trying to catch your breath, five seconds of breath, five seconds. Of, it was just, oh, and, and so uh, my mom was downstairs. I called her on the phone, and I said, Mom, I, I hate it, but I have to go to the hospital. And that's when they knew that I was hurt because I never say those words, yeah. take me to the hospital. Yeah. So uh, they took me inside the, the room and gave me an X-ray. And said, uh, you know what, Mr. Candy, you, you need emergency surgery right now. Wow. So I guess they said if I would have waited till the morning, we probably wouldn't be doing this uh, podcast right now. Yeah. So they, they rushed my mom and my friend Terry out of the room. The doctor said, he was joking. He said, you want to be asleep or awake for this? And I said, uh, let's go with awake. He's like. You want to be awake for your surgery. I'm like, I've never had one. Let's let's see what it's like, right? And uh, <laughs> about, oh, this far away from my chest cavity, I was regretting my decision, but, hey, I was already in it to, to win it. So the minute the tube hit my uh, chest cavity and went into the lung, 
immediately air and blood started seeping out of this thing. Oh, man. Uh, it was a little bit of air and then some blood that was clogging it and then some more air and then blood that was clogging it. And uh, they told me how lucky I was that I came in right then. So they did that, stitched me up, and then uh, ambulanced me from Tampa to Orlando to a trauma center. So uh, the nurses were really nice, and, and uh, I'm kind of independent. So I was getting in and out of bed to go to the bathroom. And they came. the nurse came in to feed me my lunch, and she said, oh, my God, you pulled it out. You pulled it out. Well, I had two IVs, one in each arm. Yeah. So she's saying that I pulled it out. I forgot all about that damn hose in my chest. Yeah. And I'm looking at both of my, my uh, uh inside elbows and uh she runs and she gets uh two more nurses when i had went to the bathroom somehow i had knocked that tube out oh man now i i don't know how i didn't feel it yeah they took another x-ray to figure out how to get it put back in comfortably and uh the nurse came in and said we can't explain this but your lung is at full capacity and I was supposed to stay three days. But since my lung went back to where it was supposed to be, they let me go in one day. The doctor came in. He's like, I've never seen this in my life. So he started quizzing me and asking me, you know, do you drink? I said, no. Uh, do drugs? I said, no. He said, do you smoke cigarettes? I said, no, I don't do anything. I'm pretty boring. He said, that probably saved my life that wow. I didn't do any of that stuff. Uh, the good thing was I was in Florida. My mom came and picked me up and took care of me for about a week. And then my buddy, Terry Harper, flew back into uh, Florida and drove me and my car home. And I'd been doing nothing but uh, laying in bed, healing, getting fat. And uh, I'm ready to go, man. Like, I was supposed to be out 12 weeks, but I'm going broke. And uh, this guy, Josh Kyle, asked me to do this show uh, June the 19th. So Mama's boy Pondo had to call his mom and say, hey, is it okay if I wrestle again? I'm going broke. And she's like, if you feel you can, go ahead. I remember you so saying to me before down. that she'd banned you from wrestling for the full 12 weeks. <laughs> well, not only that, uh, uh, she told me she was monitoring my Facebook, so I couldn't get around it. You know, I mean, <laughs> on you. I was trapped. So I, I asked the permission, and she said yes. And then... Uh, another guy said, oh, well, if you're going to be in town the 19th, I have one the 18th. So I've got one the 18th, the 19th, the 23rd for Insane Clown Posse, the 24th for Anna Fight Underground, I'm wrestling slack. Uh, and then 26th, I'm flying to Minneapolis to North, North, North uh, Dakota somewhere. I know that's terrible. I don't know where the fuck I'm going, but, you know, at least bookings are coming back up for me. Yeah, of course. So, uh people didn't forget me, you know? No, no, they, they never would. Like, rewinding back to that match, talk about, like, a brutal sort of exit, but one that made a real splash. Like, you and Matthew Justice, like, absolutely tore it up. Am I right in saying that the actual injury happened when he, like, jumped off at, like, I don't know, that second or third story building uh, onto you through yeah, the two, table? Yeah, yeah two, two stories. Yeah. He jumped two stories. Uh, he is a younger wrestler, and they gave us 10 minutes. I said, your match has to be 10 minutes, curtain to curtain. Yeah. I don't know if that got in his brain, but uh, uh, the opening spot was supposed to be a tope, 
right? Mm-hmm. Well, I went out and I hand, uh, I had a friend watching from the third row. I went out and handed my vest to her. I turned around. This guy's on the top rope jumping out at me. <laughs> he's already so, coming. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he was just he's just younger and faster and stronger, so I couldn't tame him down, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, when uh, when the when the spot got set up, it wasn't a table. It was two barrels and a door. That's right. And if, if you watch the spot and look at the door, one door was under the bottom of my knee. One, well, I'm sorry. One barrel was under the bottom of my knees, mm-hmm. and the other barrel was under my shoulder blades and head. Yeah. So not enough room. Too close. Yeah. To, for me to go through, right? Yeah. So I'm te- as he's fighting me to get on this table, I'm telling him the barrels are too close. But, again, he's a younger guy, and he's trying to get shit done, you know, and I get it. Uh, we all, we've all been there, you know. No, no matter what job you're at, if you're a younger guy and somebody tells you to do something, you hurry up and try and get it done. So I understand it. Uh, so finally he wasn't, he wasn't budging on fixing the barrel. So I went ahead and just took my chances and laid up on the door. And when he came down off the second floor, his left knee was pointing out, but his right knee was pointing straight down to my ribs. Yeah. So you'll even see me give a small jar up. Otherwise, he it would have done a lot more damage. Yeah. And then uh, when I hit, immediately, I knew something was wrong. And, and I told him, I said, yo, I, I'm fucked up. Something's wrong. And he said, we got more to do. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and he went to the ring. So I was like, shit. So uh, I made it to my feet and uh, went back to the ring. And now, mind you, this six or seven more minutes in the ring, I've got a, two broken ribs and a lung collapsed with a hole in it. And uh, I'm swinging sledgehammers. I'm swinging stop signs. I picked them up and threw them over the top rope through two barrels. So I think I'm in the badass category. I'm not sure, but... I think that pretty well, you know, at least puts me on the file cabinet there somewhere. I, I think and so. Then, uh, I think so. And that finish as well, like uh, you got your comeuppance with that sledgehammer through the uh, through the cinder block onto his head. So. Yeah. When I won the match, I, I immediately got out of the ring. and Well, not immediately. I sat him in a chair and gave him his props because, you know, he, he did me a favor, put me over. I, I wanted people to know that he's the man, right? Yeah. So I get out and I'm standing on the side of the ring and the referee <laughs> grabs me by my left arm to pick it up to show everybody that I won the match. Yeah. And the, and the minute, I mean the minute that it was maybe 2 or 3 inches off my side, I felt something. Yeah. And I, I and I I ran my hand back down. I said go to the other side. So he went to the other side and he lifted that hand. So uh, I went to the back, and I sat there, and I knew that I was fucked up, but uh, it took me maybe an hour to get all my stuff together and get it in the bag. But then when I went to pick up the sledgehammer and had no power, I mean no power to pick up that sledgehammer. Uh, Luckily, Mickey Knuckles came to watch the match, and uh, I went out, and I got her, and I asked her. I've never done this. Like I, I don't believe in that young boy shit making people carry your bags. 
I didn't make her, but I went out and said, hey, Mickey, uh, I'm messed up. Is there any way you can carry my stuff to the car? And, uh, yeah, the rest is history. And here I am ready to go, man. I mean, uh, I, I'm jonesing. Like, yeah. I, I, so I've been – me and this guy, Duke the Nuke, we are team no respect, and we've been uh, wrestling in Tennessee and Indiana and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Well, now I'm his manager, and watching him wrestle is – one of the worst things, because I can't get in there and do it. You yeah, know? Yeah. yeah, I can yell and, and get a crowd going, but um, I, I'm Jones in the wrestle. So the 18th, here it comes, you know, and then I'll, I'll be able to wrestle. Yeah. Well, man, what like uh, what a career that you're, you're still doing something now, like you said, at 51 years of age, and you're still that passionate about it. You know what I mean? It sounds like... It, I find it really awesome. You, you know, you hear of like grizzled young vets and stuff. People that are already, you know, um, negative about the business and just do it because they have to and and things like that. And you're here, like, still aching to get into the ring. That that really shows me like the the love you have like for that ring and for your career. When um when did you start? How did that all begin for you? Like in wrestling, was it something that you? grew up around as a kid and then were interested or, or had that all that journey begin? So, so, so let me back up on what you just said. Yes. Yes. I still love this business, but not like I used to. Like okay. it's, it's so much, it's so much different now. I still love it. I, I still want to do it every day if I could, Yeah. but there's so much that has changed. Mm-hmm. I'm not as bitter as a Jim Cornette on the business, but uh, you know, when I got in, it was so hard to get in the wrestling business. And now, Anybody who buys a pair of tennis shoes and ties a flannel shirt around their waist can be a wrestler. Anybody who buys a ring can now be a teacher, you know. So it's so different than it used to be. And there's – I was just putting this on my Facebook the other day because a couple of situations happened. There are so many petty motherfuckers in professional wrestling today. Back in the day, if you was petty, you got your ass kicked, you know. But now it's just a lot of pettiness. I just thought I'd throw that in there, but I I still love this business just like you said and and can't wait to get back in the ring. Mm -hmm. Um, I I don't meet chicks any other way. That's the only (laughs) way I can do it. All right? So uh, back in the day, me – so my family is very reserved, and uh, we're not religious. We don't go to church every Sunday, but we don't talk about religion or, you know, there's there's a lot of taboo things with my family, but – when, uh, so every Sunday, um, my mom, dad, me and my brother, uh, <coughs> my grandma and grandpa, uh, would go to my great grandma and grandpa's house for, for dinner every Sunday for a while. And, uh, Jerry, the King Lawler, Bill Dundee, Steve Perters, uh, CWA at the time, it became USWA later, but it would come on the TV and my great-grandpa and grandma would be sitting there watching wrestling talking about dirty motherfuckers and, and cheating pieces of shit. Me and my brother fell out. We was like, are you kidding me? We couldn't even believe these were the same two people. And uh, I think just because the honoriness of that uh, made me already start loving wrestling already then. And uh, my mom has a paper that I drew, so in grade school, they gave us this paper and said, write what you 
want your occupation to be when you grow up. And this was in grade school. Yeah. I, I don't remember what grade, third, fourth, fifth, some shit like that. My mom still has it. She kept this piece of paper that said, so it said, draw your occupation. So people, guys were drawing uh, firemen and policemen and kiss-ass kids was drawing teachers and horse shit like that. Mine had a ring with two stick figures going at each other saying, I'm going to be a professional wrestler. Yeah. I was the only one in three classes that that put that, right? And, of course, uh, the teachers kind of frowned on it. It's like, no, we're talking about an ac- occupation where you can make money and, and make your living and shit like that. But uh, think about that. If I knew back in grade school how passionate about it was that I wanted to be a professional wrestler, not just a professional wrestler, but uh, there's a reason I'm on this podcast right now because you've heard of me in Australia. Mm-hmm. They've heard of me in Japan, Mexico, Germany, England. I, I didn't want to just be a wrestler. I wanted to be a known wrestler. And for not being on any of the major TV channels, I think I've pretty well done that, you know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, I I found it interesting when you uh, were on Jericho's show and you talked about that and some of your sort of decisions, you know, to, to do spots and death matches and stuff like that. And even in the Hardway documentary, you talked about, like, the pencil spot and stuff, and you were like, I'm going to do that because that's what's going to make me stand out. You were somebody who understood very early on in your career that you you need to sometimes make choices that will shock people or be different and, and set you apart. And you're like, maybe if I can't be the most – dramatic flippy athlete or things like that. There's other things I can do with my charisma and, and my, you know, work that will make me stand apart from the crowd. I, I always had a very high pain tolerance. Mm-hmm. And uh, so two guys, Axel Rotten and another motherfucker, used to uh, be on ECW doing uh, – um, Taipei death matches and shit like that. Well, before that, before they was doing that, I was a tape trader guy. I don't know if you guys had that in Australia or not. They did. I I didn't. I was in like a, a country town and stuff and was probably like a little bit young for it. So like it was not really something that came across my door, but I've spoken to people uh, that definitely did do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So um, one of the tapes that was getting um, passed around was a compilation of Wing, the Wing Federation in Japan, which had a lot of uh, Mr. Pogo versus Masanaga, Mr. Danger. Yes. I wore that motherfucker out. I watched it so much. Yeah, wow. But, um, uh, so, uh, you remember the In Your House pay-per-views that was of every course. Sunday for, for WWE? Mm-hmm. Well, me and a whole bunch of friends, because back then they weren't cheap. Yeah. So, me and about... Nine, ten friends would all conjure up a little bit of money and get the pay-per-views. But I always realized during those pay-per-views, we weren't watching the matches. We were, like, talking back and forth, messing with each other, uh, eating pizza or all that. Uh, we, we normally always watch the main event, but uh, it's the other matches that we didn't really care about. Yeah. And it always bothered me. I never said anything to him, but I was like, why would we pay for this damn pay-per-view if, if we're not going to watch the whole pay-per-view? Mm-hmm. But after they were over, every time, I'm talking about every time, 
they always said, hey, Kevin, put in one of them uh, Deathmatch videotapes. All eyes would be on the screen. Yeah. So I knew. I knew. I'm like, dude, this is something that I can do because I have such a high pun intolerance that, uh, yeah, this is what I want to do. I, I'm, this is what I'm uh, – this is what I'm going to do to be standing out in the professional wrestling business because I ain't got no good body. I'm not a high flyer. Uh, I'm not a technical wrestler. I could probably do comedy if I wanted to, which i pretty fucking funny during my matches anyway. But um, So that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to do death matches. And now, uh, rest in peace, Mr. Pogo and Masanaga, the same guys that I was – Watching that videotape over and over and over. I'm on first name basis with both of them guys. Yeah. So, what other compliment in the professional wrestling world can you have that you are first name basis with the guys that you're you're watching and, and fascinated with? You know. So, uh, a lot of so. But here's the thing: a lot of the wrestlers that are on WWE and Impact and and uh, shit like that. So their dreams are action figure. I got one coming out. Um, I got a book, um, Memoirs of a Madman. You can get a copy at Amazon.com or EatSleepWrestle.com. little short plug. Um, I got my own beer in Japan. Oh. Uh, I, did a, I did a movie with Robert England. I, uh, I mean, you know, shit that bigger wrestlers have done in other companies, I have done. And, and without the stress of uh, worrying about a contract from WWE or any of that shit. You WWE know, so back, yeah. I, I feel I've done myself pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, to to still be active after so long as well, like you hear, hear about the grueling road schedules and stuff like that and people, like, you know, getting blown out and, and things happening, you know, in those kind of bigger companies and stuff, you're still, you know cruising strong like to the point where you could you could break a few ribs and a punctured lug and bounce back as quick as you have so that that speaks to it as well you know <laughs> it's pretty amazing well, that's, that's my plan bouncing right back where I was exactly so when so you're a, you're a young dude you're you're watching these things with your friends you're you're noticing that like when when death matches on the TV nobody's saying shit everybody's watching it how do you then begin training. Like, so for me growing up, the wrestling was so far away being here in Australia. There's nowhere I couldn't have even imagined training or, or how to even be near it. What are your first steps towards uh, getting into the business? Well, at this point I was already wrestling. Oh, okay. Yep. Uh, th this was uh, June 24th, 1989 is when I started. And I don't remember when those in your houses was, but they, they was, a long time after June 24th, 1989. Mm -hmm. But um, I was, so uh, I had a buddy who in my hometown, Florida, Illinois, uh, he was an oil guy. And he was also a teacher at Only Central College, which is 30 miles away from Florida, Illinois. And uh, I worked at a video store. He'd come in, we'd talk wrestling for hours or or I would go to a show and he would be there and stuff like that. So we, we knew that each other each other had a love for professional wrestling. And back then there was a lot of people that did not have a love for professional wrestling. My my friends would be like, That's the dumbest shit 
you know, why do you like that? You know, and all that crap. So, uh, that guy, like I said, was also a teacher at only central college. So he called me, uh, at the video store one day and said, Hey, you're not going to believe it. I have a professional wrestler in my class. And that guy was named Terry Runyon. And he was one of the scuffling hillbillies, um, AKA don't want to buy wrestling boots, you know, Yeah, which is fine. Which is fine. But, um, I asked him to get me that guy's telephone number. So he did. And he's like, what do you want to come watch him wrestle? And I'm like, no, I'm going to find out what school this guy goes to. So, uh, I talked to him on the phone. I went to Olney that next day, sat down with him. And, uh, he said, yeah, I can tell you want to do this. And, uh, I told him, you know, uh, uh, I, I don't have a lot of money and all this. So they worked with me. They worked with me pretty good. I started school right after that. I mean, right at the, the, the very next weekend after I talked to that guy, I started school and practiced, uh, trained, whichever one you want to talk about, for almost a year and a half, two years. And then uh, finally I had my match in Albion, Illinois, and – I sold two hundred dollars worth of tickets for this thing, yeah, well. and uh, not didn't get no credit for it. Like all the other boys, was like, "Yeah, look at this crowd we drew." Shut the fuck up. But anyway, uh, uh, sure enough, uh, the house was packed, and my buddy Roy Penrod, who later on USWA, if you look it up, was one half of the uh, USWA Tag Team Champions with uh, the Straight A. He was the Straight A student. Melvin Penrod Jr. with, uh, I can't remember the teacher's gimmick, C.W. Bergstrom or something like that, but uh, I, I had my first match with him, and it was my birthday, and he treated me good. I treated him good. And then when my name started getting up a little higher, I took the guy on the road with me just to show appreciation that he took care of me then, you know. And uh, I've been doing it ever since. June 24th, 1989, the only break that I've had is this rib breaking thing. Wow. I, I, you know, uh, not that I've gotten calls every weekend, but I would, I would have taken them every weekend. You've just be, been constantly, uh, pedal to the metal, like since, since that, that year, since you first started. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Pretty no, much. No breaks. <laughs> Are you debuting in the riggers, mad, mad Pondo, or were you, uh, were you going by another alias back then? Day one, Madman Pondo. Straight out the gate. And, uh, straight out of the gate. Yeah. Uh, I was managed by this girl that I fucking idolized in high school. Uh, her name was Kim McGrew, but she was Kim chaos. Um, she only did that one, one match, which is fine. Uh-huh. But, uh, the, the funny thing was, and we're talking about 89 before there was a Attitude Era and anything out of uh, family entertainment. They asked me what song I wanted to walk out to, and I didn't even think about it. I said, uh, Nazareth's Hair of the Dog. The DJ didn't know the words to the song, so as I'm walking to the ring, I, I don't know. I, I just, it was all my friends, right? So yeah. I got my middle fingers in the air and. Now you're messing with a son of a bitch is playing. Yeah. Uh, I had this flannel shirt and cheap ass hockey mask on. I don't know what I was thinking. But, uh, and then, uh, of course, the promoters all bitched me out. You can't hold your middle fingers up. You can't walk out to music like that. Never, never said thank you for, because uh, 
without that 200 hours worth of people, there might have been 20 people there, but I, I helped fill the, the hall. But, you know, I didn't get no credit for that. I was just a student yeah. uh, with this first match. But you might have heard this on Talk is Jericho, but I went, that same promoter took me to a show in Indianapolis one time. And I wasn't on the show, but uh, those wrestlers separated the room. They cut the room in half. They put jobbers on one side, and they put themselves on the other. Okay. And they kept talking talking to these guys about, uh, listen to me, I've been doing this 15 years. Listen to me, I've been doing this 20 years. I already told you I wanted to be a, a wrestler that people knew. And I didn't know none of these motherfuckers, right? Mm -hmm. So I knew that I wanted to get out there and uh, and you know show people show people who I was, yeah, and, build a uh, reputation, build a name. Yes, mm -hmm. and it was the era of being happy with forty mile wrestling, and and I didn't want to be that. Yeah, there's a magazine here. It was like Pro Wrestling's Illustrated Little Brother mm -hmm. called uh, Wrestling Review Magazine. And then there was uh, Dirt Sheets, and they gave addresses. Uh, the magazine would give addresses one time a year, and Dirt Sheets, every once in a while, uh, would say, hey, this company's looking for people and all that. So I sent out a, I sat down with two VCRs and made a shit ton of videotapes and sent out maybe 40, 45 videotapes to all these companies. Uh, heard back from 24 and then worked for eight. Yeah. Only eight companies. But, uh, uh, you know, they were, they were all over the place. They were Nevada. They were Philly. They were, they were, uh, uh, Tennessee, uh, you know, just eight different companies, eight different States that I had never been in. Yeah. And, uh, that's when I got hooked up with a guy named Dale Mann out of, uh, Bowling Green, Kentucky, who was doing tours. Uh, that was unheard of, you know, that a guy one year into the business was uh, touring already on, on these wrestling shows, and Dale Mann would do all these Indian reservations. So uh, it went from Dale Mann to Bill Dundee asking me to come work at his furniture store in Evansville, Indiana. Uh, he was running wrestling shows out of this Bill Dundee's furniture store, okay. which, which ran into... Chris Champion running uh, Hole in Wall, Tennessee, Shelbyville, Tennessee, and uh, and a couple other places, and you know it just kept spiraling and spiraling and spiraling until finally, you know, and and it was never one area. Like I, I would always make sure that I was good to go wherever I needed to when I needed to go. Yeah, and uh, just learning as I as I went, really, because uh, you know, I was the shits. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I, I did not have uh, the body or the wrestling skills to uh, to make it in this business until I got the idea of, shit, I'll do death matches. And then next thing I know, uh, I made the magazine. They, uh, they on the front cover of uh, Wrestling Review Magazine, on the cover, it says, uh, the match too brutal for any arena and it was the truck stop match and it was the four sides of pain, not four corners of pain, the four sides of pain, which had barbed wire, glass, thumbtacks and mousetraps around it. And, uh, 
that made the magazines. I was like, I know I got promoters asking for me and wanting me to come in. I got fans wanting to know what Madman Pondo was about. Back then, I didn't even have a computer. I don't know if you guys had these in Australia or not. I had a thing called a web TV, which was a keyboard that uh, goes inside your TV and makes your TV a computer. Okay. But I, I was I was stupid about it because <laughs> my email address was house at webtv.com, the longest damn email address that would aggravate the shit out of promoters that they would have to write out. So I, I really didn't understand how how aggravating it was, but uh, now, now that uh, things have evolved so far and I have to ask other people how to do shit on the Internet, now I understand. Now I understand that I fucked that up. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, it's so impressive the the overarching thing that I keep seeing is just that you were somebody that understood that it's a business and understood that there were ways to succeed and stand out and get seen at any cost. You know what I mean? Like uh like most of those guys, like you said, forty milers, they weren't out there putting in the work that that you were, like grinding, contacting people, cold calling. Uh, doing these kind of things and in any medium in life like if you want to be successful and you want to do anything it, it doesn't just come to you you know it's all work and and like who else is going to root for you but yourself and it sounds like you were just really in there right from the beginning uh doing that from from the start and i'm, I'm gonna uh give credit where credit is due my parents helped me out a lot mm -hmm. these uh these places they knew it was my dream and all these places, uh, they knew that it was going to take gas to get there. Yeah. They bought me a uh, Thunderbird that was very easy on gas. Yeah. Um, would help me out with gas to get to the shows and stuff like that. Yeah. So my parents helped me out a lot. And then when I started doing death matches, they never came again. They, they I, I was about that. to say, how did they feel about the death matches? I mean, they know that I do them. Mm -hmm. They they know that I'm happy doing what I'm doing, but then they you know just like I break my ribs, I got to stay at their house or or uh, uh, one um, family dinner. My grandma came to the kitchen and I had my hat on because uh, I had got busted with a chair, yeah. not in my forehead but up here in my hairline, mm -hmm. and uh, she just came through and wasn't even didn't even know what she was doing, but she lightly tapped me on my head on the way through. Yeah. And then next thing I know, at that table, the cousins are staring at me, and uh, I start feeling it, and I, I realize, oh shit! And I got blood coming down she my head. So color. They, they, yeah, my grandma juiced me. <laughs> but, uh, they all loved that I loved what I do. Yeah. But uh, they 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 hated what I was doing. But yeah. They they know that, you know. I mean. What can they deny now? Uh, an action figure, uh, book, beer—you know all this shit. They they realized that uh that uh I was doing what I had to do to get my name out there. Yeah, absolutely, and it, it's it speaks to it as well because they've put aside their personal opinions and they're supporting you in what you love, which is yeah, which is an amazingly supportive thing. Um, you mentioned the beer, which makes me immediately want to segue to Tales of Japan. But before we do, I just want to quickly ask, where did the name Madman Pondo come from? Where, where is Pondo from? Okay, so 
uh, in high school, uh, I had trouble getting laid by girls. I mean, of course, uh, that years later, um, guys would call me the Brad Pitt of, of the gathering because the hot chicks wanted me. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't happen anymore. Trust me. They, they used to ask me. Now I have to beg them. You know how that is. But um, so there was this movie, and it's really hard to find now, but it's called The Party Animal. And there was a character on this movie. His name was Pondo. And, uh, well, his name was Pondo Sinatra. And he was a seven-year college student who had never been laid and, and uh, uh, tries the whole movie to get laid. Well, they used to call me that. They would say, hey, Pondo, and, and the fight would be on, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it was either it was either get used to the name or fight all the time. So fuck it. I got used to the name. Yeah. And then uh, when I got into wrestling, I knew that I wanted Pondo to be part of my wrestling name. And I went down the list of, because my favorite was always the Bleeders. Uh, I would go to uh, ICW, which was the Poffos group, and Crusher Broomfield always bled. I loved that. I'd go to the the Jerry the King Lawlers, CWA, USWA, and the Sheepherders. Always bled. I loved that. I'd go to Wrestling at the Chase in St. Louis, and Bruiser Brody always bled. I fucking loved that, you know? So that's what I, I, I wanted to be crazy. I wanted my um, – but there was a maniac Mark Lewin. There was a crazy Mike Davis. There was um, Psycho Sam Cody, you know? All the names have been taken except Madman. Yes, uh, Abdul is the Madman from Sudan, but his name was Abdul the Butcher. So – uh, Madman really didn't come up in his name that much. Yeah. So I just put them together, Madman Pondo. And trust me, that Pondo name uh, cursed me forever. Like I got on, on the microphone, uh, Madman Pongo, Madman Poncho. Uh, one dude called me because the T looked like a P. He called me Madman Tofu. I like grabbed that paper out of his hand. I said, show me where the fuck that says tofu on that paper. You know, yeah, that Pondo name really cursed me for the longest time. But now, now, just like you know it, uh, Chris Jericho says he knew the name, and people know, people know Madman Pondo now. And, uh, I'm just so impressed with that. Yeah, it is one of those names that stands out, and it's something I knew before I ever saw you wrestle. You know, I mean, it's just like uh, it, when I I heard it or whatever I see a match or it's announced, I just already knew it. You know, I don't even know where I knew it from. It just it was familiar. You know, so yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it it stood out immediately and kind of kind of suits suits you down to the ground. So we we segue back to Japan real quick. Um, it's somewhere that's very close to my heart. I've been there well before COVID, last kind of five years running and big month-long trips and stuff like that. Had your first forays over there happened? Did they reach out to you, or was it somewhere you wanted to go and you were grinding to get, get into the market there? So a company called MRW, Midwest Renegade Wrestling, uh, run by Michael Rogers and uh, another guy, Big Ben. Uh, really, I don't know who ran the damn thing, but Michael Rogers was the one that would contact me. They brought in Abdullah the Butcher for me. They said, we're, we're going to bring in Abdullah and let you wrestle him. So awesome. I was so hyped. Mm -hmm. And uh, I did wrestle him. And after the match, if you know anything about Abdullah, when he's done with his match, he wants to sit the fuck down, get his check, and go home. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, after our match, 
he came back to the back and he said, champ, let's go back out and grabbed me in a headlock, took me back out and, and we fought some more. And then I thought we was done. So I went through another door and he came through that door, grabbed me again. You know, he, he had a good time with the mat. Yeah. Awesome. So, so when we got this, so I remember you said you could tell that I used my brain mm-hmm. back in the day. Well, uh, here's another brainer that I did. After the match, I knew how much fun he had. I knew that he was impressed with me. And uh, I so wanted to bring up Japan to him, but I didn't. And finally, um, he asked me if I ever had dreams of going to Japan. And I said, yeah, of course. And he said, well, I'm getting ready to go to Japan in four days. And I'll be gone for three weeks. When I come back, have a videotape at my restaurant, and the next time I go to Japan, I'll, I'll take it with me. So the minute he said that, that, that was all I could think about. That was my main focus. Got done wrestling, drove to my house, hooked up those two VCRs, hooked up a videotape of my uh, most craziest shit that I've done, uh, waited for the post office to open, overnighted it to his restaurant, and back then it was kind of expensive to do that. Yeah. And in two days, he called me on the phone. He said, damn, champ, you really want to go to Japan, don't you? And I yeah. said, yes, sir, I do. And he was like, all right, well, I'll take this videotape with me. So already I'm Abdullah's boy Yeah. at Big Japan. So that, that helped me out a bunch. Huge. And uh, when I got over there, they uh, – uh, from 2000 to 2000 and either the end of two or the beginning of 2003, I was with the CZW combat zone wrestling wrestlers. And then, uh, after that I became the gaijin boss and lasted from 2000 to 2008 in Japan. Yeah. Huge. I did a lot of shit, man. Like, uh, I married a girl over there. Oh, really? Uh, oh yeah. You know, you know how, um, uh, Japanese women's supposed to be servient and stuff like that. I met the one motherfucker. I ain't never heard of that shit in her life, boy. It was, it was some shit. Woo. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I married a Japanese girl, um, ate with the mafia and I'm talking about pinky missing mafias. Um, people ask me all the time what Japan's like, and you're going to relate to this. Mm -hmm. I'm sure. So I tell them, I say, well, this is what Japan's like. When you walk into McDonald's and you enter the door, already they're saying, Oshimashi, which means, can I please wait on you? Mm-hmm. Uh, you go to their counter. They're smiling while they take your order. They run to get your order. They run it back. And when you sit down and you open your package, it looks just like the, the pictures up on the, exactly uh, the, same. On the wall. Yep, absolutely. Right? That's Japan. Yeah. Now you try that shit here in America. Yeah. You'll be lucky if your cheese is even halfway on that burger. This this is an amazing story, and I can I can give you two examples. So so perfect. Like you say, you go into any McDonald's in Japan. You walk in every, and it's not just the person at the counter. It's the guys in the back at the grill. You know what I mean? Like everybody calls out, oh, and you're like, oh, this is great, and they're amazing, so helpful, ask you about everything. So. I have been to America once uh, for uh, when I, I married my wife in Las Vegas. We went to AEW's Double or Nothing weekend. We were there for a week. I really wanted to try out, um, oh, what, what is it? Five Guys, right? There's a meme that talks oh, about yeah. it and stuff. And we were hitting all the, you know, famous American burger joints and stuff. We 
I love terrible food. Uh, and so the, the very last one we went to was Five Guys because it was like on the way back to the airport. And we get to the thing and I'm trying to decide what thing. And I go to the guy, there's a dude behind the counter and he's like yelling at someone like, hey, do this or whatever. And, thing, and I go, hey man, how you going? He goes, hey man, what do you want? And I go, I don't know man, what's good? He goes, oh no, I don't need it here. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, thanks for the recommendation. Welcome to America. Yeah, exactly. Get out of here, asshole. So, so yeah, I completely agree. And what what you just say sums them up. Everything they do, I feel like the work ethic and the the service is one hundred percent. They take pride in every single aspect of their city, any job they're doing. He could be the guy cleaning the toilets. I go down to Yokohama Pier. There's like a load toilet block, you know. And there's one little old guy there and he's just he runs it himself and he's got a little thing on the wall and he's just like making sure you're happy and like yeah. He loves his job, you know. Uh two stories I'll tell you. So one, mm-hmm. um there's no trash on the streets. You'll no agree way. with that, right? hundred percent. But there's no trash cans either. No, there's not. The you gotta carry it with you. Trash? <laughs> they carry but it with there's them. There's a million cigarette butts all around that motherfucker, I'll tell you that. Mm. And then um so one time uh, I, I was on a Lawson's and um, I don't know what I bought, but uh, I left the store and uh, you know the little silver uh, one cent things that don't mean a damn thing in Japan. Yeah, we call them yens. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yen, right? So I'm going uh, back to my hotel and the worker is chasing me down. And finally, I turn around and I say, yes, can I help you? And she hands me four of those because I didn't take my change. Like That's Japan. Four cents. That's what Japan is right yeah, there, yeah, you know? Absolutely. Craziness. Were you living there full time during that period? Uh, no, I wasn't living there, but I had in-laws there. Okay. Uh, not 2001 to 2000 and, and we'll say three, uh, back and forth. Yeah. But... Then um, 2003 to 2008, uh, well, I met my wife. I, I got married in 2004. Uh-huh. So from 2004 to 2008, Japan would bring me over for three months, and then I would just stay at my in-law's house and uh, go on shows when they had them. But uh, back then, shows were just they, – they had them every, every week. You know, I was, I was ruining my in-law's sheets. Bleeding through and all that crap, but uh, but then uh, it all came down to a to an end in 2008, and it was pretty sad. But then um, Sarah Logan was going to Japan back and forth back when she was Crazy Mary Dobson, yep. and I went back to Japan uh, for a tour in 2017, mm-hmm. and uh, I was supposed to go again for Shadow WX. But then COVID hit, and now Japan's airports are all closed. So yeah. who knows when I'm going to be able to get to do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so um, you're obviously – you were saying you still have contacts and stuff. You still uh, are friends with Matsunaga. I've been to Mr. Danger's Steakhouse. I, I spoke to, to Corey about it. It was uh, one of the best meals ever. You've obviously eaten there yet? Well – I don't know if it's what he's marinating that steak in or if you walk in and he's the cook, but that is the best steak that I've ever had in my life. I would 100% agree. And I, I've had yeah. some amazing 
stakes in my life, but that experience, not just the steak itself, like the entire set, you know, like the meal, the sauce, the room, just being there, like it was just such a, a great experience. I'm with you, man. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. Uh, we were <laughs> we were both saying, uh, Corey and I, that we we really want a deathmatch worldwide to put out Mister Danger Steakhouse merch. <laughs> It'd be awesome. Yeah, I'm hoping that comes through. Yeah, that would be amazing. So, um, you you did most of your work in Japan with uh, with Big Japan. Um, from what from what I could see, was that that somewhere that was, was really your home there, or? Well, here's the cool thing about Big Japan. Yes, when CZW was there, they didn't let us go nowhere. But when I started going there for uh, three months at a time, and I mean, I would come home and maybe spend five days to a week and fly right back. You know, the minute uh, it was okay to fly right back, they would fly me right back. Yeah. But you could only stay three months at a time. Yeah. And uh, it got to the point where there was a company – called, uh, well, Tatamara was running uh, uh, Apache. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Takamishinoku was running, uh, starts with K. Kayantai? Uh, Kayantai, yeah. Uh, you know, I, so they started letting me work all these companies. And uh, the coolest thing that I ever could have thought for a company was Fighting Ultimate Crazy Kings. That's awesome. The company, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I started working for them. Uh, and then as Americans came in, um, we, we, we was a draw for Big Japan, and they knew it. So they didn't care, and this is unfucking heard of. Like Japanese companies, when you fly in, they want you to stay company. Yeah. But uh, they was letting me and Tony and Necro and Masada – Go to go to uh, like I worked for Tarzan Goto's company. Mm-hmm. Um, I I did Onita's, I think his second retirement show. It was uh, I got there and Osaka and Ricky Fuji versus me and Mr. Pogo, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm the fall guy in this shit. No, I'm I'm the one that pinned pinned uh, Gosaka and shit wow. like that. So uh, I worked uh, not FMW, but I worked WMF. Okay. You know, <laughs> WMF. Uh, yeah, uh, Mr. Gonoske. Uh-huh. And then, um, uh, so impressed that I got to work for uh, fucking uh, Tarzan Goto's company, you know. Uh-huh. And then I get there, and it's like in this small arena, and, and all the wrestlers are, are like backyard shit wrestlers in Japan, except Tarzan Goto and me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just you would think that America is the only one that has these backyard feds, but I'm finding out all countries have these backyard feds now. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's fans everywhere and people that want to, you know, get it started. And so it, it's uh, not surprising that even in like the, you know, the uh, very clean streets right. of Tokyo, there'd still be guys that are super passionate uh, trying to get it going. Right. Yeah. And then from Japan. Um, I flew to England for the video game. Mm-hmm. I'm in a video game, and, and uh, that company flew me there in England. What video and, game is that? Um, uh, Backyard Wrestling 1, oh, okay. Backyard yep. Wrestling 2. Yep. And then uh, Fire Pro Returns, mm-hmm. 
me, Tony, and Necros, all three in that one. They don't have our names, mm-hmm. you know, so they didn't have to pay us. But yeah, yeah, if they would have asked me, I would have I would have signed something where they could have put my name in the damn thing. Yeah, definitely. And then Australia, mm-hmm. I, I wrestled in Australia. Uh, a lot of shows in Australia while I was there, and then uh, Mexico, and then of course. I don't really include Canada in that because, you know, that's just a drive back and forth. But uh, uh, five different countries on somebody else's dime is pretty impressive. Yeah, absolutely, man. A- anytime, like, somebody's going to pick up the check and fly somewhere, that's the goal as a wrestler, right, to to see the world uh, and yes. uh, and be able to, to do so. Uh, but being paid to do it, like, that that's the dream. That's right. Absolutely. So- Not only get paid to do it, but... Uh, all the memories of shit. So I'm the kind of guy who doesn't like sitting in the hotels. I like to go to these other countries and experience shit. Like yeah. I'm the guy who will say, hey, is there an amusement park around? Hey, uh, what's a cool restaurant to go to? Yeah. You know, I mean, I do shit when I go to these places. And uh, uh, a lot of guys go and they save their money. But I want the experiences of these places. Absolutely. Of course, I did so much in Japan. Uh, but uh one sticks out. There's a amusement park on Mount Fuji yes. called Fuji Q Land. Yes, which is uh, on Mount Fuji. It's an amusement park, and they have these record-breaking roller coasters. I rode all of those, and uh, they have a 45-minute horror uh, haunted house, which was fucking awesome. And uh, uh, they had the girl from the ring all through it. Oh, dude. Uh, you, yeah, you sit down and uh, everybody has a telephone next to them, and they show you the video, and then next thing you know, the telephone rings. And oh, it, when you pick it up, it's speaking something in Japan. I, I don't fucking know what it was saying, but I'm terrified. Sure you're gonna die. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna die in seven days. Yeah. And uh, of course, she was all through that that haunted house. You know, just so that was Japan. I, I did a lot of things in Japan, and then um, England. They had a thing called the London Dungeon. Oh, I've been there uh, also. Yep. That that's awesome. It's killer, man. And then uh, uh, when I went there, it was for the video game, and they gave us each a day. Me, M Dog Twenty, yep. Josh Prohibition, and me. They they said each one of you pick a day, and we'll go do what you want to do. Yeah. Well, my pick was uh, um. David Blaine was hanging under the London Bridge for 44 days without uh, food and water. Wow. Okay. That? Yeah, yep. So that was my thing. I wanted them to take me to that, and, there, and uh, I had a plan when I got there. So when I got there, I said, I'll be right back. And I went to a restaurant, and I bought the biggest Coke and the biggest hamburger that I could find. And I went back. And I yelled his name, and he looked right at me, and I held that burger in the air, and I took the biggest bite, and I would just act like it was the best <laughs> burger that I ever ate in my life. And, so evil. And, uh, so that was England. Uh, Australia. Um, what was cool about Australia was I was in some porn magazine with with these naked chicks all over us. I've I've never found the the nobody's ever found the magazine, but they definitely said that it's been out before. But uh, uh, I was freaking out on that. And then um, Mexico, I did. Uh, I mean, Mexico was just awesome. But um, I went to the CMLL building, yeah, and watched wrestling and uh, uh, 
La Parca was there and and uh, shit like that. Uh, let's see, I'm trying to think of all my countries. Uh, uh, England, Japan, Mexico, Germany. Oh, and in Germany, Germany there wasn't really that much to do. Not 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 for my liking, but uh, it was it was all right, but just not uh, not the. Uh, Fun spots that the other places had, but yeah, we uh, yeah, we did we did a, tra- a travel like a trip through Europe, and we also went to Germany, and yeah, I I could find a lot to do. I mean, admittedly, I was very hungover, and it was hot as hell, and our aircon was broken in our room, so I didn't have any time or patience for Germany as it was. But it, but it did seem as like readily accessible for like uh, fun stuff like that kind of stuff, you know, attractions. It's more history and things like that. Not at all. Like, and and not only that, but. The people were kind of mean. Like uh, okay. me and Chris Hero would ask, "Where's McDonald's?" and and people would be saying, uh, nine, nine, You know, they didn't want to help us. So yeah, uh, we walked into a, we walked into a movie theater and uh, we asked if there was any of the movies playing English. Yeah. And uh, the woman cleaning the theater was like, nine, nine. And I said, "Oh yeah." How many dicks have you sucked? And she's a nine, nine, nine. I said, "Are you sure it wasn't ten? And she's like, "No, nine, nine. You know, and and uh, so that was about the funnest I had in Germany. But the the restaurants are really nice. Yeah. And uh, but the people, man, and 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 not only that, when you're wrestling in Germany, uh, the fans are right there on the ring. Like there's no chairs; they stand up. Oh wow! Next to the ring. Okay. So, uh, deathmatch shows in Germany are a little dangerous because these guys don't move. Yeah. You know, you're fucking around with light tubes, and and they want to be right there in it. So, yeah, well. uh, yeah you, you got that going for you in Germany. Yeah, exactly. So, so what what's the the plan for Madman Pondo? So we're looking at uh, you're coming back. We've got uh, shows coming up. You're not. Uh, Wasting any time. One of your first matches back is with Schlack, which isn't a day off for anybody ever. Uh, what, what's the plans for the future? Man, I just want to do this as long as I can. Uh, Gypsy Joe went until he was 70 years old. Um, he put his body through a lot of shit. I put my body through a lot of shit. I'm not saying I'm, I'm the equivalent of Gypsy Joe at all, but I would like to keep going until I can't go no more. Uh, even w- when I can't go no more, I now own my own all-girls wrestling company, so I got that to fall back on. Mm-hmm. Somehow I'll always stay in the business, I believe. Yeah, exactly. When, when you've got a passion for it like you do, I'm sure there's always ways to be a part of it and be around it. Um, I feel like Masters of Pain this year is going to pop off in a huge way. You've booked an amazing lineup with some of the hottest deathmatch stars coming out, including Tournament of Survival winner Alex Cologne. So uh, I think when, when that drops online and stuff as well, like people are going to snap it up and it's going to have a lot of buzz too. And uh, the, the Gathering of the Juggalos is coming back this year. So yes. I'll be, a big, I'll be a big part of that as well. I've been to every one of them, all 20. Yeah, wow. And this is number 21. Yeah. I'll be all, I've, I've, I've been to all of them, yeah. Yeah, have you wrestled on every one or, or like, you, you just, yeah, every yes. single one? Wow. I've done something in the ring on every one of them. And uh, people always ask how I, how I got to go to all 20. Well, it's a lot easier when they're paying you to come. Yeah. Unless, and, instead of having to buy a ticket. So, 
Yeah, I've been to all of them. Yeah, are the, uh, are the ICP fans of Mad Mad Pod, though, or they reached out to you right back at the very beginning? So I did this show in uh, Detroit, and there is a, a, a company, Insane Championship Wrestling, run by uh, Malcolm Monroe, the, the senior. Uh, there's a junior and a three now, but this was when uh, Malcolm Monroe senior was running, and I did a uh, thumbtack death match, and I mean, there was just so many thumbtacks in, in this match. And when I got to the back, there was these two guys, white as I am, with dreadlocks, and I didn't know nothing about no ICP. I didn't know who they were or anything, and and uh, they come over to me, and they was like, man, that was great. And one of these days, we're going to be uh, doing something big with this wrestling and want you to come with us. And I was like, okay. But, I mean, you hear shit all the time. Yeah. So I I didn't think nothing of it. But they gave me a, uh, a, a Tunnel of Love CD. And the minute I opened it, uh, Shaggy's head was Photoshopped on some porno star with this big old hog of a dick. So already I'm thinking, what is this shit all about? Yeah. And they gave me a t-shirt. It was a Super Balls t-shirt that had uh, a dick and balls with a Superman outfit on it. And so I'm not sure what it is that I'm getting myself into, but I went ahead and popped the CD in on the way home and their shit was cool, man. I mean, it, it, was, it sounded good. It was fun. There was funny lines in there, and and uh, so uh, I, I I liked those guys. I liked them a lot. So then uh, I'm walking around the mall in O'Fallon, Missouri, and I see kids wearing their T-shirts, and I'm like, "Holy shit, that's those guys!" Yeah. And but I don't know how to get a hold of them or nothing. Uh -huh. So the first time they did, okay, so not the first time they was running real, little wrestling shows out of their warehouse. But the first time that they rented St. Andrews Hall in Detroit and did a big wrestling event called Stranglemania Live, yep. they uh, they asked Dan Curtis to find Madman Pondo, and they did. And and I wrestled on that. I think that was in 97. Uh, yeah. That's, a, that's awesome, man. They're like just lifelong fans who succeeded what they wanted to do and then they just keep like giving back to wrestling you know what i mean and reaching out to the dudes that that inspired them and that that they enjoyed it they've still like you say 21 gatherings and stuff and you've been at every single one it speaks uh well, it speaks 20, to the, 20 but yeah 21's coming up yeah yeah the, but the not, 21st, only, yeah. not only wrestling think of think of the the bands that i've okay so yeah. uh uh they give to the jugglers so i've seen Ice T, I've seen Ice Cube. I got to see Old Dirty Bastard before he died. DMX, yeah. uh, um, you know, just countless amounts of uh, of uh, bands that yeah. a lot of people never get to see. Yeah. A lot of comedians that a lot of people, you know, I've got my picture with Gilbert Godfrey, and uh, I met uh, Ralphie May, and you know, just all the, the gathering of the Juggalos for twenty years has been nothing but a good time and it gets a bad rep, but, uh, they're all about family and, and they're not out to fight and all this crap. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about the 21st gathering of the juggler. Yeah, that's going to be awesome, man. 
thanks so much for your time today. Like, I, I know you're getting ready to cut this off, but I had a story I wanted to tell you. Oh, please, let, so, let's do that because I, I was going to give my little soliloquy and uh, and sum up what I think has been an amazing conversation. But please, what do you got for me? Because I don't think okay. we, actually we haven't we haven't touched on the Australian tour yet either. Exactly. That's yeah, what yeah. I was getting ready to tell you. So my buddy Daniel Beaumont back in the day brought me to Australia and I wrestled in Victoria for uh, TNT. Mm-hmm. I wrestled in uh, Melbourne. Uh, I know I'm in Perth for a company called Rock and Roll Wrestling. All these, all, I think there was like six shows. And uh, one of the most bizarre shows that I ever wrestled at was in Australia. Uh-huh. It was in a Chinese buffet. Uh, what? <laughs> and the Chinese buffet was Which is open. in the restaurant, like inside. Yeah, we were in the restaurant, and they moved all the tables, put the put the ring in the corner. Yeah, were people uh, eating? <laughs> what? Yes, okay. it was an open Chinese restaurant. Oh my god! How many wrestlers can say they got to do that? So. Uh, uh, one of these shows for PWA, uh, I was wrestling Mad Dog, right? Yeah. And uh, I was out there signing some autographs and shit like that. And the smart fans, the 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 ones that knew that I flew from America, was uh, saying shit like, "Yeah, man, I'm I'm so glad you're here. Uh, we know that you're taking the belt home." Um, we know it has to go back to America and all this shit. Well, what they didn't know was that show where I wrestled Mad Dog was one week before this rock and roll wrestling where I was doing a three-way with Mad Dog and another guy named Mike Manson. Yeah. So uh, I will never forget this. Mad Dog did the finish to me. I'm the Juggalo Championship wrestling yeah. champion at the time. Uh-huh. And uh, Mad Dog does this finish to me. One, two, three. It got very quiet, and then people realized, holy shit, he just won, and the fucking place went nuts. Yeah, right? they thought they had it sussed, right? They're like, oh, well, obviously, exactly. if he's going home, that it has to go kind of thing. So it so blew right. their minds. So then, uh, one week later, I wrestled Mad Dog and, and uh, Mike Manson and got the belt back and took it home and all that shit. But I will never forget the excitement and surprise of the Australian fans when, when Mad Dog won that belt. And uh, so everyone, maybe two or three times, uh, J- JCW has put out a roster of their champions, and Mad Dog will always write me and give me a little poke like, yo, get my name in there. I, I won that belt too, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which I – now I don't think they would have cared, but there's no way I could have told them that I did that shit back then. But I just wanted to show them Australian fans, one, that M-Dog was a star over there and helped build him up, and two, that they're not as smart as what they thought they were. Yeah, exactly. It's still like working in the business, you know, like working people is, is the foundation of it. And when we started this, you were talking about uh, where the business is today and th- those kind of things and those surprises are still what make wrestling amazing. Like uh, I just watched New Japan Dominion the other day and everybody knew like Will Ospreay got injured and then Shingo, who had been beaten by him, was going to first Okada and it was really just one of those things. Okada will, of course, have the belt back and then that's something, right? 
And so on on Sunday or whatever it was, she'd go wins and it blew apart the internet. You know, everybody's just like, oh, New Japan's hot again. Everybody knew he's the best wrestler in the company, but they thought that no way he could ever have it. You know, it's those little surprises and nuggets that keep people coming. So you should uh, you should tell the the guys again, be like, oh, by the way, I briefly dropped the belt for a night in Australia. <laughs> They'd probably get a kick well, out of it. I don't, I don't know how they'd take it. And I don't want to find out. <laughs> You're like, at least get get through uh, the the next gathering and see how you go. That's it. Um, have, Shingo, what a, what a good guy Shingo is. You ever met Shingo? No, I haven't. But yeah, I just just realised you probably would have run into him because he would have been very active in the time when you were in Japan. Yeah. And, and at FIP, he, uh, uh, me, and Necro was taking on the uh, the um, damn boys, the Briscoes, uh-huh. for like four or five shows in a row, and got to hang out with Shingo because my wife was Japanese at the time. So yeah. she was helping him, uh, say shit. Yeah. Translating know, and stuff. Yeah. Understand uh-huh. shit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Nice guy. Oh yeah. Such a nice guy. Humble, humble, you yeah. know, humbleness is big with me. Yeah. Um, you will never hear me sit in a room and say, Hey, I'm this great. I, I, I'm I'm the humble guy who, if you want to tell me a story about me that you thought I was great in, I'll sit there and listen. But you know, I don't want to be the one. I mean, the the business is so full of guys who are so full of themselves. Now, I'm not one of them guys. I just I just want to be Madman Pondo, who uh, is the same guy until I pass away, and then people will tell that story. Yeah. Oh, that's that's awesome, man. Do you um, you said you're still in contact with Mad Dog? Have you had a chance to check out uh, Australia's new Deathmatch Down Under? No, and I haven't talked to Mad Dog since the last time he was in Japan. But uh, my back when uh, Sarah Logan was going, so was uh, Vixen, mm-hmm. his girl, and. Yeah. Uh, course they both said hey tell pondo hello and i think i've talked to vixen a couple times but i really haven't talked to mad dog since then yeah exactly well once gotta make that change yeah make that change absolutely yeah exactly and plus where what's uh um you know travel and everything is back open surely we could see mad mad pondo back in australia we've never really had a full deathmatch company before now so it'd be very exciting to to I, see that I think that guy uh I think that guy talked to me about that. Yeah. What's yeah. his name? Joel Bateman. The smash hit. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. They're absolutely killing it right now. I can't uh encourage anybody listening to this enough to check out uh Deathmatch Down Under on IWTV. They're racking up a few shows and you can see the awesome work of Mad Dog uh and Vixen on those shows. Buddy, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate no, it. No. We've had all kinds of uh, interruptions throughout this. Nobody will ever know about it. Uh, but my dog was doing her best to, to annoy us and the internet was crapping out and everything like that. But but what I take away from this is just the story of a guy that has absolutely grinded his entire career, has been thinking outside of the box every step of the way. And, and along that journey, you've just like been about experiencing life, you know, like – you, you've enjoyed the journey. You continue to enjoy the journey. It's not about the dollars and cents. It's about where it takes you and w- what a ride you're on, man. And I feel like you're far from done. I feel like Deathmatch has never been hotter than it is right now and the platform is there for just 
huge, huge things in the coming years. Well, we're both roller coaster fans, and with the 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 two ribs broken, you know the uh, the slow slow climb. Yes, get to the to get. That's what I'm on right now. I'm on that slow climb yeah, until buddy. I get to that top, yeah. and I'm getting back June 18th, and I'm just taking the fuck off and it's going to be another roller coaster ride and hopefully we'll get on this show again and I'll tell you more experiences of what I've had. My friend, you have an open invite to here anytime you need to plug anything. I feel like we've only even just scratched the surface of Mad Man Pondo's stories uh, and I would love to to do this again and get into you know more details on, on different trips in Japan and Australia and funny stories. I, I can't imagine how many there is. And we didn't even get into crazy injury stories and stuff like that. So I'm sure there's plenty yeah. of uh, plenty of uh, gold to mine with you, my friend. Uh, I told you that in the beginning you'd probably have to pull the hook on me that I'm pretty full of shit and I can <laughs> talk for hours. So one of, the, one of these days we'll get back on here and we'll we'll uh, pick up where we left off. I would love that. and And hopefully, as I said, once the world opens back up, Hopefully we see you in Australia or I'm in the US or maybe we even meet up in Japan or whatever. Maybe maybe uh, we could uh, take Corey uh, from Deathmatch Worldwide to Mr. Dangerous together one day and that would be a pretty amazing That'd experience. Cool. That'd be cool. Since you said his name, yeah. for anybody out there, for all your Deathmatch t-shirts needs, go to deathmatchworldwide.com and uh, Corey Higdon not only has all your Deathmatch stars, Good quality T-shirts with good printing, and that's deathmatchworldwide.com. Now you can close this fucker out. Yeah, that's how it's done. Friend of the show, deathmatchworldwide.com. Check them out. Friend of the show, Madman Pondo. Everybody, thank you for listening. This has been Faces and Feels, and for Faces and Feels, and for the amazing Madman Pondo. Remember, it's all about peace, love, and pro wrestling. Peace out, Pondo. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Faces and Feels is a DIY project created and edited in-house by me, Rafe Houston. You can show your support by following us on Instagram, at Faces Feelscast, Twitter, at Faces Feelscast, and Facebook, at Faces Feelscast. Or send us an email with topic suggestions or feedback to facesandfeels at gmail.com, and don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. Our banger theme is Loose Lips Sink Ships by the Thunder Vipers. Check it out on Spotify. And now hang around for a quick word from some friends of the show. Peace out. My body is a roadmap of pain. Deathmatchworldwide.com, the official online merchandise store that is only for Deathmatch Wrestling. Featuring official t-shirts from No Peace Underground, John Wayne Murdoch, Akira, Madman Pondo, Zona 23, Neil Diamond Cutter, G. Raver, Schlack, Necro Butcher, and many more. If you are a Deathmatch Wrestling promotion, manager, or platform and are interested in joining the web store, send us an email to deathmatchworldwide at yahoo.com. Deathmatchworldwide.com for the violent view.